You're listening to a sermon from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Covington, Tennessee. Our mission is to proclaim Christ's kingdom through word and deed. You can learn more about us at 1pc-covington.org or join us for worship at 403 South Main Street, Covington, Tennessee. Um, please read with me John 7, um, verses 1 through 24, and it's found on page 892 and 893 on your pew Bible. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this beautiful day that you have given us to come and worship you. And we ask that you just open our ears and to hear your word, and that you let your truth fill our minds and our hearts. Amen. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, He is a good man, others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances but judge with right judgment. It's difficult to whisper loudly. So, um, have you ever had a situation where uh, people were in conversation about maybe something religious? Maybe there was a disagreement, and one of the, one of the people uh, was saying something was absolutely right and was absolutely true and correct, but the way they were saying it was condescending, prideful, a sense of which they were more uh, relishing being correct than relishing um, the truths of God's Word. 
I, I, I think some of us have, have been in that situation where someone has been right about what they're saying, but in a way that is very unchristlike. Um, many of us have visited churches where that was kind of the, the, the tone and the temper of the place, where here is truth, and those, uh, but there's just a hatefulness and a condescension against those who don't agree. I can remember... Um, uh, uh, senior year at high school, uh, a fight broke out between uh, two folks in my class. One was uh, a guy who had attacked the other because someone had uh, used God's name in vain. They had, they had cussed and used God's name, and so the Christian punched him. Well, I think he was absolutely correct to be offended by blaspheming um, but I think there's somewhere about Jesus saying, put away your sword and, and, and that sort of thing. In other words, it's not enough for us to know who Jesus is and to know what Jesus came to do, but we're also called to live in a way and minister in a way and serve in a way that is like Christ. That it's not enough that we uh, know who Jesus is and know what he came to do, but we see that the way he came to do it, that we follow the how as much as understanding the truth. Uh, this morning's reading um, is, has several things in it. Each you know, little portion in here could itself be a message, but I, but I want us to step back and look at how they show us the way Jesus ministered, the way Jesus um, did things. And, um, you know, if you, last, last week we looked at how um, Jesus is showing who he is and, and what he came to do. Now we're looking at um, the, the way of Jesus, how he does his ministry, how he does things. Um, and so one of the things that's kind of striking and confusing is Jesus does not follow other people's agendas. This is one of the confusing parts about this passage is his brothers come to him, presumably his half-brothers from Joseph and Mary, um, possibly other relatives, but they, they come to him and they say, um, look, this, this big feast is coming up. It's the Feast of Booths. It's this big harvest celebration. Let's go to Jerusalem and you do some of your really cool Jesus stuff that you do, the really amazing miracles and signs that we've seen, and you do it in front of everybody. You do it in front of your disciples and everybody will see it and be amazed. Now, remember here, Jesus has just talked about um, eating his flesh, drinking his blood, that he is going to be giving his body, that he's going to be dying. And we saw that John used the term disciples to mention the big crowd of people who kind of were looking at the signs, but weren't necessarily trusting in what the signs pointed to. So when the brothers here are talking about looking, you know, showing this to the disciples, he doesn't mean the 12 who truly understand who Jesus is or beginning to understand. He means the large groups who have gone away. Almost, uh, all right, here's damage control. You've just said some really weird stuff. Get back up there and do some amazing things and everybody will come back. And Jesus says, I'm not going. My time isn't now. Um, in other words, I'm going to display my glory. My glory is going to be displayed 
in my crucifixion. It's not going to be displayed when I do some amazing tricks for everybody. Um, Jesus resists the call to go. And it it kind of goes along with um, the way Jesus does things. If you look at his miracles, um, you know, they're in public because everything was in public at the time, but he's doing things in small remote villages. He's doing things just with disciples. He's doing things with the servants at a a wedding feast. He's not coming and saying, all right, y'all come here and watch this. He's doing things as, you know, they come from his compassion and his love. Um, so the feeding of the 5,000 um, by, by itself, I mean, that was the whole point was there's a lot of people who are hungry. That's why it was miraculous for us, so many people. But Jesus wasn't doing things for the sign themselves, but with the sign pointed to. And so Jesus isn't going to go and display his glory through signs um, to, to draw a crowd apart from showing what they point to. And, and Jesus resists the agenda. Now, he says, I'm not going to go, but then he later goes. And that bothers people who are trying to say, well, why does he say he doesn't go? Does he change his mind? It might be that he's saying, I'm not going to the feast in this way to show my power. Or maybe I'm not going to this type of thing. Or I'm not going this with you. Know, you. I'm going separately in private where people aren't looking for an amazing miracle. But we see this throughout John, this basic resistance to doing things the way other people demand they be done. He responds to needs, but he does so on his own terms. So Mary comes to him at the wedding feast. They're out of wine. And there's this initial, what does that got to do with me and you, woman? And you're thinking, well, that doesn't sound like Jesus. But then he goes ahead with the miracle. And a man comes to him and and says his um, child needs healing at the end of chapter 4. And Jesus says, now, y'all are going to believe anything apart from these signs. And it sounds like he's not going to do anything, but he does so in his own terms. Go, your son lives, or your servant lives. Um, and then uh, later on, Lazarus dies, and they come to him and saying he's sick, and Jesus waits. He doesn't go on their terms. Jesus is about his own agenda. And so here we see he's going to go, but he's not going to go where he can be displayed. He's not going to be go where he can be used to draw a crowd. He's going to be going but the way Jesus wants to. And I think this is very helpful for us to remember because, you know, I just, I have constantly amazed at the number of people who come to me who aren't even Christians who want to tell me what a pastor's role is or what a church is supposed to be doing. I mean, it's amazing how many people um, outside the church want to tell you as a Christian how you should be following Jesus. It's just stunning because they want to set the agenda of who you're supposed to be. And the temptation is always there for us, one, as a church, to always kind of um, do things that we think other people would like. And so one of the you know, big arguments in the past few decades has been this idea of, of being seeker-sensitive, of we kind of look what other people outside the church say they want, and the church becomes what they want, but guess what? They still don't come. They, they, it's not like, in other words, as one person said, Jesus said, feed my sheep, don't entertain the goats. We don't poll the goats on how we act as sheep. And the, the, we're constantly being told, you know, if, you, if the church just did this, more people would come. If the church just did this, and rather than listening to the polls and rather than listening to those outside the church, we should listen to Jesus' agenda. Because 
there are many, many good things that we could be doing. There are many needs in this world. But there's a lot of hungry people Jesus didn't feed. There were people who were not healed of their blindness. Because overall, the Jesus' mission wasn't to make the world a better place. He had compassion. We have compassion. We, we should feed the hungry. But our, our goal isn't to make the world a better place. Our goal isn't to look at every possible need we can do. Jesus' goal was to redeem and unite us back to Christ and trans, uh, to unite us to God and atone for our sins and proclaim that message, not to set up a, you know, a perfect temporary world, but to be at work redeeming out of the world. And so our agenda is not to look at every possible need, but our agenda is to follow Jesus, to absolutely love our neighbor, absolutely reach out generously where we can. But there are so many needs that if we just listen to everyone who comes and says, this is what the church ought to be doing, we'll be distracted from our role of proclaiming Christ's kingdom and announcing the gospel and calling people to turn to him and repent. Jesus doesn't follow the agenda of the world. Jesus doesn't follow our agenda. Let me say that that might be a problem for some of us because some of us might be resisting following Jesus because we think Jesus needs to meet the things that we come to him with. Jesus, if you provide this and this and this, I'll follow you. And Jesus says, those aren't your real needs. Or giving you those things isn't what's going to fulfill you. And so it can be a challenge to us if we think that we can come to Jesus with our agenda. I've, I've known people who fall away because they think that following Jesus means my problems are solved. And they realize, no, you just get a whole, whole new set of problems. Jesus follows his own agenda. The other thing we see is that Jesus divides because the world hates him. He tells his brothers, my time has not yet come. Your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. In other words, y'all really don't believe. You're still seeking glory. You're not pointing out people's sins. And Jesus himself comes to us and by his very existence and by his words, he shows us our sins. He shows us our failures. And the response of the world, the response of those, as we see, of those who don't want to do God's will, who seek their own glory, is that they hate him. They hate him because darkness hates light, because their deeds are exposed. Now, I, on one level, that should hit us because for every one of us, Jesus exposes something sinful within ourself, continually calling us out and showing us things. And our response is either we will hate it and try to turn Jesus into someone else and hate the real Jesus who shows our sin, or we will repent. We will say, you are right. You've shown light on this darkness, and I want to turn from that darkness to the true light that we, we turn from it. And so the response of anything is to see, do I want to do God's will, or do I not want to do God's will? And if I want to do God's will, I, I see that Jesus is teaching the truth, and I will follow him. And if I don't, I'm going to hate him. 
Now, I, I might not come out and say it. I, I might just try to redefine Jesus to be a Jesus who essentially believes everything I believe. But let me just say that all of us are going to be exposed, and that's going to be our response to either repent or to hate Jesus. I, I, I bring this out because I think maybe particularly in the Bible Belt, we've kind of had this idea that following Jesus is essentially mentally giving assent to the truths of there is a God and there is a Jesus and he really did die and rise again. That's part of it. But true faith means we repent, that we return, that we, we say, and therefore, because he is who he says he is, I'm not Lord of my life anymore. Therefore, I'm going to turn from anything that he commands against. Therefore, I'm going to follow him, bend the knee, and where there's places in my life that I need to turn from them and be more obedient, I'm going to do that. Jesus divides because he exposes sins. And so for us as the church as well, you know, I, I think there's just sometimes a lot that we have this kind of um, assumption that if we just present things in the right way, everyone will love Jesus. It makes sense because we love Jesus. We see how glorious he is and we want everybody to. And for us, why would anybody reject the message of the gospel? And so we kind of think that, well, you know, if people reject it, we did something wrong. Or we, we you know, maybe we're, we need to downplay part of the message. But here's the thing, if, if we are doing what Jesus did, if we're showing people the true Jesus, if we're lifting up Jesus, the world is going to hate him because he exposes their sin. If we're living a life that is following Christ, by its very nature is going to expose sin in others. And they're going to hate that. So prepare to be hated. Prepare to be called a bigot. Prepare to be called backwards. Prepare to have the world despise you if you follow Jesus. Jesus said, if the world hates you, it hated me. And the reason the world hates you is because it hates me, because I show the truth. And increasingly... That is the reality we're going to face, and we have to realize, get rid, get rid of the assumption that if, if we just put the right spin on it, that everybody will love Jesus. People do not want to do his will. The world hates him. The world do not receive him. The world rejects him. The world hates him, and it will hate those who love him. That doesn't give an excuse to be mean or hateful, anything less than loving and kind and gracious. But if we're presenting a Jesus that never has anyone opposed to it, we're not presenting the fullness of who he is. And then finally, we see a Jesus who very much deals in the ordinary. Jesus' brothers wanted him to go up to the temple and be spectacular do some amazing draw the crowd he does go up but what does he do he teaches in the temple he teaches he explains god's word it, it, it is absolutely amazing to me when jesus quotes scripture and points to scripture i mean he could just say look i'm jesus 
This is the way it is. But what does he say? He says, this is what Moses said. And here's the way you're misunderstanding it because the scripture was saying that, you know, in, here's in circumcision, here's the law of the Sabbath. He's using scripture to explain God's law. He's teaching in the temple. Let me say that I think many of us have probably have a background where we are used to people um, thinking that really spiritual things are the spectacular things. So some of you might have had a background of a spirituality that was really based on, on ramping emotions. Um, I, I can't tell you how many campfires I've been around where it was, right now you're on top of the roller coaster, you've been with Christians, and you're going back into the real world, and you need to do things to keep yourself lifted and, and close to God. And we would all be excited and, and, and never maintain that, that kind of height. Many of you have, have kind of been in churches where the whole point of a worship service was to stir up emotion and get somebody to, to walk forward and, and make some sort of decision. And as often as not, it's not followed through within a week or so. Well, many of us don't, have kind of been around people who've talked about, you know, God said this to me. And if you're like me, I'm like... I, I don't see it in here, and I haven't heard voices. And I, there was a time I was praying, and I felt really close to God. And there's other times I felt really close to, you know, I really felt a tingle, but I know it was the sinus medicine. It wasn't necessarily the spirit that my, uh, you know, uh, emotions and chemistry aren't what tells me the spirit's at work. And I know there's many people who kind of, you know, they say it's a God thing and it's a spirit thing because it was spontaneous. But Jesus, as much as healing and doing amazing things and miracles, which he absolutely does and can do, Jesus, more often than not, taught and used parables and explained God's word. And he's promised that that's where he is going to work. And so there's part of us that praises God for spectacular works. There's part of us that absolutely thanks God for um, you know, kind of the spontaneous works. But we should never look for those things beyond the ordinary ways that God has told us He will meet us. Diligently, day to day, through understanding His Scriptures, which the Holy Spirit takes and applies to us, of gathering together with other believers just as he was gathering together in the temple. We gather together with the temple who is the body of believers where he's told us he will be present. And we come to this table where he has commanded us to eat in remembrance of him, not on the basis of how good we feel when we take it, but trusting that Jesus is using the ordinariness of word and sacrament and believers and prayer to shape you and do a work in you through His Holy Spirit that isn't based on if you see an immediate change, but is based on He's absolutely promised that He's going to be at work making you like Himself and drawing you to Himself, not regardless of how you feel. And that, that work of the Holy Spirit is through the ordinary things He's given us. It doesn't have to be some miraculous thing where somebody goes off and gets a vision a group of people praying and seeking Him and coming to a decision is the work of the Spirit. The diligently praying and reading Scripture in your study 
when you don't even feel like you get something out of it, is the Spirit working and using it. And so Jesus in the temple teaching is at work. Just as much as Jesus in this body of believers opening His Word to us week after week, the Spirit is as much as work as those spectacular, amazing things. I hope you trust that. I hope you trust that he, that Jesus is with you and teaching you and, and making you into something new regardless of how you feel, regardless of what you think at the moment. But when you look back on a longer period of time, you see, thank God I'm not who I used to be. Let us, uh, let us pray. Lord, help us to trust in you, not just who you are and what you've done, but also help us trust in the way you do things. Help us trust the ordinariness. Help us trust you even when it's not popular and those who do not follow you dislike us and hate us. Help us to follow your agenda, not to bring our agenda to you. Help us to trust you. That's all this in Christ's name. Amen. And you've been listening to a sermon from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Covington, Tennessee. Our mission is to proclaim Christ's kingdom through word and deed. You can learn more about us and listen to other sermons at onepc-covington.org or join us for worship at 403 South Main Street, Covington, Tennessee.